This is a show about getting spooked for fun, and neither one of the hosts are associated with the attractions discussed in any way. Except for those skeletons in Devin's closet. Some topics may go from ghoulish to ghastly, so viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to The Great American Scream. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Great American Scream. My name is Devin Wright. My name is Adam O'Connell. On today's episode of The Great American Scream, we're just going to uh, chill, chat about uh, life, what's been going on in the news, uh, and oh, the weather. I'm leaving then. Uh, I can't. <laughs> oh, okay. It's just me. Yeah. I saw a vampire the other day. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> I'm interested again. I was walking down the street, and I saw, amidst the pandemic... A man and a woman, probably about our age, I would say about 21, and they were dressed from head to toe on a 90 degree day in black and with black face masks, and they were very cool, and I wanted to be them, and best of all, the girl had a black umbrella. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty good. And this has been our episode about vampires. Thank you for listening. (laughs) I really want to be those people. Um, you know, I've always been influenced by vampire culture <laughs> as just a person. Um, I what a good love, segue. I love vampires, the commercially sexiest monster. Um, because well, okay, okay, no, Find listen. Find a towards Frankenstein's monster. Here's the <laughs> here's and the mummies. Thing. We're if we're gonna talk about vampires, we're gonna have to talk about how the the. <laughs> Their raw sexual energy, unfortunately. <laughs> raw sex appeal. I mean, That's true. we are. So just strap in your your horror seatbelts for that. Oh, uh, but vampires, we're earning our e tag this week. Yeah. So vampires have been around for literal millennia, and because they live forever. Yeah. Even further back than, like, I know we talk about how a lot of monsters have roots in different folk cultures and stuff, but vampires, like. Hey, vampires go way back. We can, vampires are the monster about which we could make a strong argument for the fact that they exist because they exist in every culture, regardless of their connection to each other. It's like dragons, swords, and fried dough and vampires are the four things that are. There are four things you can prove because of history. In every culture. Fried dough, swords, dragons, vampires yeah every every culture has everybody be frying dough everybody be having swords everybody be having vampires everybody be (laughs) vampires and everybody be riding dragons while eating fried dough and holding a sword yeah that god god i wish that mentally i'm there (laughs) uh mentally i'm here and it's a dragon with a vampire on top eating fried dough and swinging a sword anyway we're gonna talk about vampires we're gonna talk Um, about vampires Forget about the fried dough and the swords. Yeah, I mean, Get always think out. about fried dough and swords. We're thing. leaving the Renaissance Fair. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to vampires. Which are also at the Renaissance Fair. Yeah. So it, we're not going to be able to cover the entire storied history of vampires because they are everywhere. Because we're not immortal like yeah, vampires. We don't we'll, have that much time. We'll hit on the highlights. And uh, similar to how we talked about zombies, uh, we will kind of hit the the film highlights as well um and i feel like in a post twilight and vampires diaries world there's two worlds pre-twilight and post-twilight and in a post-twilight world that we're in i think Mm -hmm. vampires kind of get a bad rep 
So it's important to remember kind of where they came from. Because let's, you know, sometimes we get lost in the weeds about vampires and we, you know, we need to go back to our roots, like in the Hannah Montana movie, you know? (laughs) Yeah, we got to always find your way back home. You can change your hair and you can change your cloak. You can change your teeth. That's just the way it goes. That was good. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So because no matter what, no matter how much people dunk on kind of like contemporary teen vampire fiction or whatever, we all still love vampires. Love vampires. And we also understand that sometimes teen escapist fiction is a tool that especially young girls use to uh, achieve a kind of self-love and liberation in a time when it's very hard to do so. So maybe let's not poop on teen vampires and i feel i feel like when people let me put a disclaimer i'm not a i'm not a twilight fan i was a twilight fan in elementary school but i mm-hmm. feel like a, a lot of people's big criticism with vamp with twilight and like vampire diaries are like when did vampires get sexy vampires have always been sexy. always been sexy that's kind of their whole thing yeah so let's let's go back let's get into that hannah montana mobile and drive back a couple thousand years yep mm-hmm. um, <laughs> You know, uh, the patented Hannah Montana yeah. mobile that they drive around all the time. <laughs> Billy Ray Cyrus drives. Um, so a lot of uh, what we know to be these vampire tropes originate from different folklore. Um, so most I'm going to kind of define what most folks understand vampires to be. So pale, nocturnal, often highly sexual members of the undead who feed on human blood to survive using their fangs. OK, um, so right now you're describing me. Okay. So if you could differentiate me from vampires. Uh, okay. They are deterred by holy symbols. Still me. Consecrated yep. grounds. Still me, yeah. And garlic. Oh, not me. See, I that's love myself I knew some garlic. I was get yeah. You. Yeah. Um, they also may be able to turn into bats, wolves, other animals, shadows, or mist. Um, mm. And they can often be killed by uh, driving a wooden stake through their heart or direct sunlight or like holy water or whatever. Yeah. That's kind of like uh, the cultural understanding of. Right. The, and in the Castlevania, generic. they can be killed by a big axe that you throw in the air. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> so the notion of vampirism has been around for literally thousands of years and exists in a huge variety of ancient cultures. Mesopotamian, Hebrew, Greeks, Romans, you name it. They probably have some kind of blood sucking demon of some variety. Um, whether How closely they resemble to what we know as a vampire depends on the culture. So what we know today as the vampire really originated in the in uh, 18th century southeastern Europe, largely because of actual vampire sightings. Real actual vampires. Yeah. So one of the earliest recorded vampire sightings occurred in modern day Croatia in 1672, uh, where villagers in the village of Kringa had claimed that local resident Jure Grando, who had died in 1656, had returned from the dead and was now walking around drinking people's blood. Uh, the As village leader ordered a stake to be driven through the heart of the corpse, but that did not appear to kill him. So they beheld headed the corpse for much better results. Honestly, you try to go on these reunion tours and the fans just aren't as happy as the first time. I was so thrilled to hear the story of Yuri Grando. Yuri Grando, that's okay. Since we already earned the explicit tag, that sounds like a porn name. uh, A little bit, but specifically vampire porn. 
<laughs> We're not talking about vampire porn. I can't believe but. our vampire episode is going to be tagged as explicit, but I digress. Um, so during the 18th century, there was a frenzy of vampire sightings in Eastern Europe. It actually launched kind of a mass hysteria and local governments would post bills like encouraging the hunting of vampires. Um, only a handful of cases were well documented, but it's thought uh, several supposed vampires were hunted and executed by vigilante justice. So, and this is where we get the idea that they are somehow vaguely Balkan. Yeah, this people. kind of uh, Transylvanian yeah, starting, and starting, yeah. and we also kind of get that with Dracula too. But Southeastern Europe is kind of the the birth of um, of modern ideas Vampires. of vampires. So they start getting associated with Romania and Transylvania, and but that also goes on to Dracula, which we'll talk about shortly. But uh, this also was kind of back, and I, I don't, I, I couldn't pinpoint exactly when this trope kind of fell out of favor of the idea of vampires actually being in their graves during the day and then rising from the graves, like actually being dead during the day right. and rising from the graves. I think maybe with the advent of zombies, they, those things kind of got separated because we still do have like the vampires sleeping in the coffins Sleep, during the day. Yeah, sleeping but in coffins. But now we just yeah. have vampires that do be out and about during daylight hours. Yeah, they just have to, like, wear black or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah. at some point, we lost vampires actually being dead during the day. And I think that's a, a fun one that we can bring, <laughs> we can bring Let's back. Let's bring that back. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, it's as an air of mystery because it's like, oh, you go check the grave in the middle of the night and oh, old yeah. Vlad's and not it, there it anymore. Of, yeah, it, like, adds to the what could probably call, be called the, like, folklore origins of vampires, of like, this fear of empty graves at night mm -hmm. or, like... It's probably linked to like the like fountain of youth and the idea of like uh, virgin blood being like something you can use to live forever. And somehow like the fountain of youth and holy water are like the good way to live forever. But drinking blood is the bad <laughs> devil way to yeah. live forever. But either way, you're going to live forever. Yeah. So the prevalence of vampires in fiction uh, really began with 18th century poetry and then moved on Ooh. to... Uh, 19th century short stories, the first and perhaps the most influential being uh, John Polidori's The Vampire, spelled with a Y, in 1819. So uh, in this short story, Lord Ruthven, who was supposed to be an unflattering uh, parody of Lord Byron, to which I say, dunk on Lord Byron all you want. He, all you want. He slept with his half-sister, so... You can yeah, screw that yeah, guy. Just dunk on him however you want. Well, don't screw him because he screwed his sister and that's okay. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> so Lord Ruthven travels through Europe with another fancy lord uh, while murdering people and concealing his uh, vampirism all from, that. from said fancy lord. And I think at the end, he goes on to marry the fancy lord's the sister. Fancy lord. Oh. No, I, that would be good, though. No, he That'd marries the fancy lord's sister, and the fancy lord is like, no, don't, he's a vampire, but then it's too late, and he already, like, mm. kills her and sucks, Sucked her, blood. sucks her blood. And also, this is a tangent. When did we stop having vampires going, bleh, bleh? Yeah. When did we stop allowing vampires to have a bad, <laughs> vaguely Serbian accent? Yeah, I miss the bleh. Like, that was fun. Bleh. Why did, why did vampires do that? Because if I remember, it's not in Dracula. <laughs> I don't think he ever. Maybe we thought. Maybe it's a it's a, a uh, Mandela effect. It's a Mandela effect. It's <laughs> um. So, uh, Lord Ruffin, non-blair timeline. <laughs> 
so Lord Ruthven went on to more uh, escapades. He went on to uh, star in several plays as the anti-hero uh, ah. of these stories. And also Victorian Penny Dreadfuls would also often feature vampires. If you didn't know, a Penny Dreadful was kind of an anthology short story that you would pay a penny for to come out uh, to get the next issue every week, kind of like comic books, but they were stories. Um, the most famous of these Penny Dreadfuls involving vampires being Varney the Vampire. <laughs> Ooh, kind of a Penelope pit stop kind of. Thing. Yeah. Oh, Penelope pit stop. But okay. Thank Varney you, you. also kind of uh, uh, was one of the earliest examples of the idea of the vampire fangs, as Varney was uh, described as having several sharp teeth, uh, which would aid in the blood sucking. I imagine. They probably, yeah. Yeah. So this would all kind of culminate in Bram Stoker's Dracula in 1897. Um, So Bram Stoker was inspired by various vampire folklore, especially Eastern European, Uh, most notably Emily Gerard's 1885 essay, Transylvania Superstitions, um, Mm. which highlighted the kind of um, Eastern European, Romanian uh, superstitions about vampires. Um, And his name was obviously taken from Vlad Dracula, also known as Vlad III, or what you probably know him as, Vlad the Impaler. Um, So, oh, I should have written down a pronunciation of him. He was the Voivod. No? I think it's I think it's Voivode. Voivode. He, oh, that was my first Wallachia. instinct, but it was like it has to be fancier than that. Um, of Wallachia, uh, of which Wallachia. is Wallachia. Yeah. Oh, sh- nuts! Damn it! Uh, which was early Romania uh, in the 15th century, and uh, is remembered for his exquisitely cruel means of inspiring fear in those who opposed him, including impaling his enemies and attackers on stakes. Hence his nickname, Vlad the Impaler. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, like, this specificity of wooden stakes when, like, uh, what is his name, Jure Grande? He uh, couldn't Euro be Grande. killed by a wooden stake. Yeah, no, you wasn't Euro killed. Grande. It's your it's, um, Grande. It's your it's your Grande. <laughs> he couldn't Euro- be killed by a wooden stake through his heart. But then, like Vlad the Impaler using wooden stakes, so like that's why. I think, yeah, wooden stakes I think came Vlad. So I think Vlad leaned into it, like. I think he knew. I think if we can say anything about Vlad the Impaler, he leaned in, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, and so the wooden stake thing was kind of a confirmed thing about Vlad the Impaler and him just being generally cruel and creepy. But a lot of the other stuff is just kind of like rumors. We don't know for sure. Like him drinking the blood of his enemies. We don't know for a fact that he did that. Like we can guess that maybe that sounds like something he'd do. Yeah. But- uh, honestly, a lot of it, comes down to in this like late 19th century where we're entering this early globalization period and people in like Great Britain and and France are getting this idea of the Balkans as this as this physically close geographically pretty close region but maybe culturally is very very odd and different to them Mm -hmm. which allows for like Vlad the Impaler to become so like emblematic of this like vaguely vaguely what is the word i'm looking for like tribalistic and violent yeah. idea of a of a of a serb of a serb of an eastern european person a slavic person and it, it it's really it, it's really odd that it makes sense that blood drinking would become a part of it because that's kind of an idea of like 
this barbaric person drinks the blood of his enemies that's used all over it. But it it seems odd to us because it's like this is modern day Romania. Like that's just Europe. But because. Yeah. And it's it's not to be mistaken that Vlad the Impaler was (laughs) extremely violent and (laughs) scary. Right. Yeah. Of course. But Um, that. But we don't actually knew if he was drinking blood or if that was just a weird Western European rumor. Right. And that's all the all the weird things that he did would be amplified to reinforce this idea of like barbaric Slavic people. Um, And his name, Vlad Dracula, uh, Dracula actually, or Dracul, which is his father, actually, like people say it's actually just Alucard backwards. People, people said that it translated to devil. It actually first translated to dragon, but uh, as language evolved, it it then became um, understood to be translated to devil. So he's kind of got both dragon and devil going on. Um, But that's where Dracula's name was taken from. Um, Also, a fun fact. uh, So Bram Stoker had a couple of claims for how he got influenced to write this book. And one of them was that he claimed he was inspired to write this book after having a nightmare about a vampire king caused by eating too much crab meat. Don't eat too much crab. You're going to have vampire dreams. And then you're going to write one of the most influential horror novels of all time. (laughs) So maybe do. Yeah, maybe do eat lots of crab meat. Yeah, if you haven't read Dracula, if you like classic novels, it's a good one. Um, it's uh, it's quite similar to like what we think of as like the Gary Oldman Dracula or even the 1930s Dracula. It's a fun time. I really like yeah. it. It's one of my favorite gothic novels, probably behind Frankenstein. But so Count Dracula has become like the vampire in fiction. He has since appeared, since his first appearance, uh, in over 200 films, being the second most used character in film. Um, Devin, do you think you can guess who the first most used character in film is? Is it Sherlock Holmes? It is Sherlock Holmes. Good job. That was great. Thank you. I was surprised. I feel like I've seen way more Dracula movies than Sherlock Holmes movies, but that just might be me as a person. (laughs) Yeah. Also, like... We forget like the the fact that film became popular not in the US first. It became right. popular in like France and then the UK. So like Yeah. And the UK's biggest cultural export being Sherlock Holmes, it kind of tracks. And since both of these characters are now public domain, you can use them in whatever. Also from researching Dracula's appearances in films, apparently um, somebody is making, I think 20th Century Fox or Universal, whoever, I guess Universal because they have the rights to the classic monsters, are making a musical film based off of the song Monster Mash starring yeah. Universal Classic Monsters. <laughs> Hell yeah, Universal Classic Monsters Cinematic Universe. It sounds great. I know. I really hope they pick that back up because The Mummy, really bad. The the new Mummy. The Invisible mm. Man, excellent. And I think Ooh. the next one they're doing is um, Dracula. So fingers uh, crossed that the, the Dark Universe. That one is also good. Yeah. Well, oh, that it's good. I just yeah. want it to be good. Yeah, yeah. fingers crossed that the Dark Universe uh, makes it out because <laughs> The Mummy was really terrible and people thought it was never going to make especially compared to the first Mummy. The first Mummy is so good. Yeah, just make that one the Again, the actual yeah. canon yeah. one to the cinematic universe. Yeah. Um. So uh, he's probably Dracula's probably tied with the Bride of Frankenstein as my favorite Universal classic monster. Okay. I do be loving vampires, but so his first film appearance was actually before the 1931 Dracula. It was technically Nosferatu, a symphony of horror in 1922. Um. Now Nosferatu is based on the book. Uh, but moves most of the story to Germany and replaces Count Dracula with Count Orlok. So it's it's the same story, but kind of 
remixed a little bit. Um, Stoker's estate actually sued for copyright infringement for this film and won. And every official copy of this movie was destroyed. But uh, people had a bunch of unlicensed copies which survived and are now in the public domain. Incredible. So you can you can Nose also watch too. <laughs> you can watch Nosferatu on YouTube. Um, if you've never seen Silent Film, I think it's a good one to start with. It's a lot of it's, it's great. It's pretty scary. Yeah. Um, and of course, Dracula would go on to be portrayed by Bela Lugosi in 1931. Uh, this film invented the look that we recognize with vampires right now. The cape, the widow's peak, the amulet, the fangs, the black hair, the, like that was all invented for this movie. Yes, and we talked honey, about with, the brows, the cheeks, the <laughs> lips, the eyes. We all talked about with uh, monster makeup and character design became so iconic that we associate all vampires with this kind of uh, look. Um, and I'd argue that even with the hundreds of films that came out about Dracula uh, after, this is still the best one with the Gary Oldman and Keanu Reeves joint closely following. Um, mm. But this movie, it still holds up. Yeah, it's honestly, really like good. watching the trailer, I was like, yeah, this is a film. This yeah. is <laughs> real. But of course, the Gary Oldman and Keanu Reeves one also incredible. Yeah, Gary Oldman notwithstanding. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, Keanu. God, I love Keanu Reeves. And his act, you know what, y'all? His accent in this movie is really bad, but the rest of it's great. Yeah. That, we should that just be stop Keanu asking, Reeves. We should just stop asking Keanu to do accents that aren't Keanu Reeves. He doesn't need to do it. He doesn't like, need to. He's perfect. He can just be Keanu Reeves in it. Yeah. Can just be, yeah. Just be Keanu Reeves as Jonathan Harker. I digress. Um, so Dracula would be uh, go on to uh, go on to be portrayed by the likes of Christopher Lee, Gary Oldman, Luke Evans, really <laughs> interestingly, and also mm. Adam Sandler in the Hotel Transylvania uh, movies. Underrated performance. I've of never I've never seen those movies. No, Are actually, the first one is like it's fine. Okay. It's fine. Okay. Yeah, you know, you know, it looks cute. I think I I, I like yeah, for, bringing the classic fine. monsters back out to play. Yeah, fine animated children's movie is still pretty good. It's yeah. just that, like, comparing it to the good DreamWorks or the good Pixar, it kind of falls yeah, like, off. But it's because it's, it's elimination, fine. right? Like, it's not Despicable I Me. I think so. Despicable Me it's is not. Despicable Me movie. is a good film. Yeah. Perfect movie. Yeah, it's um, a great but movie. But it's also not Minions. I get what you mean. Um, yeah. But uh, I also comparing Hotel Transylvania with Scooby Doo and the Ghoul School. Which Ooh, is uh, Ezra told me to talk about uh, Scooby Doo and the Mystery of Zombie Island in the zombie oh, episode. Oh, nuts! I, I can't even mention it. Pretend that uh, we mentioned we talked about Scooby Doo on Zombie Island because yeah. that's another movie that talks that conflates zombies with voodoo. Yeah, and which is a shame because it's a good movie. Yeah. Um, although looking back on Zombie Island and like the Confederate soldiers being like uh, good guys. Yeah. yeah. We- <laughs> We could talk a long time about Scooby Doo on Zombie Island. We're not gonna. We're gonna keep talking about vampires. Um, so Dracula also is the main uh, antagonist of the Castlevania games, which I need to play because everyone's told me that I would mm. love Castlevania. Yeah, you would hate the first. So Castlevania like changed genres halfway okay. through, uh, and you would like it after the change. The first. Uh, iterations of Castlevania are just very hard platformers oh, nuts. action games and they're incredibly difficult uh, but that story I think is an interesting one in terms of the lore of Dracula it creates this idea of Dracula and his descendants uh, like Dracula and his son Alucard try to figure that one out and a 
family, the Belmonts, who okay. are destined to forever hunt Dracula, which is like a twist on the Dracula story that's actually really interesting. Okay. Like, and leads to some cool story stuff. Yeah. I also think that a lot of Dracula quotes uh, that get associated with like the Bela Lugosi Dracula are actually from Castlevania. Like the, uh, I almost said, what a piece of work is man. That's Hamlet. The, it's, um, it's what, what is, is a man, man a, miserable a miserable little pile of secrets or whatever. Secrets, yeah. Um, people associate that with the Bela Lugosi Dracula, but that's from Castlevania. That's Castlevania. Yeah. So uh, after this kind of like classical era of vampires, uh, we kind of get into later more modern vampire media. Um, from 1966 to 1971, we had the soap opera Dark Shadows, uh, which was a vampire. One of the earliest examples of a vampire soap opera uh, centered around the vampire Barnabas Collins. The show was insanely popular. So we were into vampire drama way before the early it's 2000s. Almost as, yeah. And it's almost as though the critique of vampire fiction is just a stand-in for a critique of any kind of youth culture or any kind of culture that specifically markets to women and like vampires are perfect for that kind of media because they are campy and ridiculous and over the top and theatrical while also being sexy as hell yeah um and i think dark shadows got a tim burton remake in like 2012 or 13 that was it wasn't great. I saw it. I actually saw it on a first date. Um, <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be a first date. We got set up by our parents. Um, but uh, Helena Bonham Carter was in it, and I love her. So yeah, she. I mean, she's listen. She's in every Tim Burton, Tim Burton film, joint. So yeah, a Tim Tim Burton joint is hit or miss all the time forever, but at least you're going to get Helena Bottom Carter, even in the worst ones. God, I love her. But um, so we also in the 60s and 70s started to get the genre of lesbian vampire films, which have yes. kind of like fallen out of favor now because of their associated with being like a problematic trope. But right. the, the idea of the lesbian vampire was ultimately inspired by um, Lefanu's Carmilla, in 1872, uh, which is a vampire novel that actually predated Dracula. And uh, Carmilla, this like main vampire, was the prototype for the lesbian vampire trope as she very frequently shares her romantic affections for the female protagonist. But interestingly, the novel, from what I understand, never codes her homosexuality as an antagonistic trait and just leaves it as kind of a subtle additional character thing. Um, right, which also, tracks with 19th century conceptions of homosexuality, which, yeah. which were not which were not concepts of uh, it, it was more a understanding that like homosexual people existed and they may have like homo- homosexual relations or yeah. whatever, but that they would continue to exist as society wanted them to, which was heterosexual in terms of marriage and all that. Yeah. Kind of and stuff. so in the 60s and 70s, and, and the problem with the this idea of the lesbian vampire film is that a lot of them fell into like fetishization rather than right. actually telling a story. But we do get movies like Blood and Roses in 1960 and The Vampire Lovers in 1970, which are both definitely worth a watch if you like uh, kind of 60s and 70s almost exploitation style. Yeah. Uh, cinema they're definitely worth a watch and of course we would go on to get like i didn't talk too much about buffy the vampire slayer in this outline um but the the, the buffy characters the ones that are lesbians are not vampires but it is a vampire show that has has lesbians, lesbians in it, in it. <laughs> so worth the mention 
Yeah. Um, so we then uh, we go on to uh, in kind of like the 90s and Rice's uh, Vampire Chronicles, which are actually and I didn't even know this 13 books long. Oh, my God. Which I only ever associated with the first three, which is Interview with the Vampire, the Vampire Lestat and Queen of the Damned. Um, I thought that yeah. was where it ended. I didn't know there were 10 more. I thought books. it stopped after two for some reason. Yeah. Um, I think the most recent one came out in like 2018. Good for her. Uh, so these were hugely influential on the modern vampire, especially in this romantic, hedonistic sense. This series is probably best known for the 1994 film adaption starring Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt, which is unironically one of my favorite movies of all time. I will watch Interview with the Vampire yeah. every any day of the week, any time of the year. Yeah, like, it on. is. Again, it's an intersection of like the inherent camp of vampires and then the inherent camp of 90s Tom Cruise and 90s Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah, like like how do you not like the gay vampire movie? How? They so sleep good. in the same coffin and they sh- they raise that little vampire daughter together. Antonio Banderas is in it. Christian oh, Slater is in, in it. That film. Like come on, how do you not like the gay vampire? It's all for movie? the gays. They oh, did that so, all for the gays. It, they, within the first four minutes, Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt are flying in the air while Tom Cruise is biting down on Brad Pitt's neck. Like, come on, guys! <laughs> how <laughs> do we not Mountain, like the gay vampire out. movie? It's so <laughs> good. People have been talking about remaking Interview with the Vampire, and to what should I say? No, it's perfect. You can't. Who would you? Okay, but oh, if we did, on. who would you cast? Because oh, I know one. I know one person. What's your one? I want to see if your one is the one I'm thinking of. Army Hammer. That's not what I was thinking of, but that's pretty good. Thank you. Who as is, Lestat or as Lewis? I think it's Lestat. I was going to say Lewis because you'd have to get somebody a little more bonkers as Lestat. Okay. Who is your one person? Who, who are you going <laughs> to? Now, well, now I'm embarrassed to say. <laughs> no, say it. Okay. Let me preface this, but this is not what I would have cast, but this is what I think our modern culture would have cast. Okay. Timothy Chalamet, Harry Styles. <laughs> oh, damn it. Okay. Yeah. I think that's what okay, Hollywood no, would have I'm done. Not necessarily recla- what I would have done. Re- reclaiming my time. Okay, It's Army Hammer as Lewis and me as Lestat. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you've angered me by mentioning my I'm nemesis, sorry. Timothy Chalamet. I'm sorry. But yeah, also I Also, for when somebody pulls this up when I'm on Colbert in a few years... And they find this audio clip of me saying that Timothy Chalamet is my nemesis. I'll say it again. <laughs> that's, for, that's for the lawyers, baby. <laughs> that's for the lawyers, baby. This is in court. Um, you have to believe me. I'm evidence. But uh, yeah, you don't need to remake Interview the Vampire. It's a perfect movie. Um, and, and it really did a lot for vampires as like sex symbols, because like it or not, Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt were... In, sex symbols. Insane sex symbols in the 90s, especially yeah. in this movie. Uh, I and mean, again, we like Tom Cruise is pretty hot in this movie. Yeah. And I'm not like I, I'm the I'm that type of person who says I can watch Tom Cruise in anything. I don't my relationship. My relationship with Tom Cruise is very complicated. <laughs> I say we're always in a love hate relationship. Sometimes he doesn't answer my text. No, but like both as a person and as an actor, I have such a weird conception of tom cruise because of he's tom cruise yeah but like i can't help but be one of those people that's like i see tom cruise in a movie and i'm in like i like i'm in you know i met tom cruise when did you meet tom cruise when i was working at magic when somebody offered to 
measure your midichlorians or whatever no, they are? When I was working at the Magic Kingdom, I was going backstage to clock out and go home and I passed by a cast member bathroom. And sometimes this is like a Disney thing. Um, if they're like if a tour guide is bringing a really notable celebrity through the park, they'll have them use the bathrooms backstage. So that way they don't Makes have sense. like they don't get mobbed in the bathroom or whatever. So yeah. I was passing by a bunch of cast members, uh, cast bathrooms and Tom Cruise walks out of the cast bathroom, points at me and go and goes, Hey, how's it going? Have a great day. And then just That's joins Tom his Cruise. group and left. And I just, yeah. like, I, I took, I was I, like, I had to calibrate what had just happened. Like, I like literally, like I was any other coworker. And, yeah. And you said, you said interview with the vampire. <laughs> like at first I was like, was that Tom Cruise or was that some guy that I know that looks like Tom Cruise? Yeah. I feel like if I ever saw Tom Cruise in real life, I would say, was that Tom Cruise or was that a deep fake of Tom Cruise I saw on YouTube, but in real life? Yeah. Okay. We talked about Tom Cruise too much. Um, so after interview with the vampire and this kind of ad, and then this is kind of, I think, a perfect intersect of this vampire. This is like the sex symbol. And then also is this like hedonistic, aristocratic, fancy kind right. of thing. Because after this, we kind of scale back on the the aristocratic antagonist style of a vampire. Um, we get things like True Blood, Twilight, and the Vampire Diaries, where vampires became the protagonist and vampires became the idea of them being like concealed in your town and just being yeah. regular people. The world is a vampire. <laughs> just being regular people other than the fact that they were vampires. And then because they were the protagonists now, we could start projecting onto them as well. Right. I think the idea of like vampires always being like a part of society, but like in the shadows or whatever is always has always been a part of it. But usually mm -hmm. it's been like that manner up on the hill, which is yeah. a very different thing. But I, I think the link to campiness and therefore, at least in the 20th century, a link to effeminacy and homosexuality, whether it's it's this this very sexy gay man who sucks blood coming and stealing your wife, which is a very funny, real thing that some homophobes <laughs> think about. It become it becomes so interestingly complicated by their embedding into regular society in the two thousands. Yeah, and I think yeah. um, we when vampires became the protagonists, we kind of had to remix them a little bit to make yeah. them be able to be projected onto. And I mentioned this later, but I'll bring it up now that we start doing things like making vampires like vegetarian. So they only feast on animal blood or right. make them be able to go out in the sun. Like the, again, we go back to the idea of humanizing classic monsters. The more that we humanize them, the more easily we can project onto them and relate to them and stuff. It's right. Like, and the idea of go ahead. No, I was like, cause you don't want to, relate to Lestat because he's a monster. But right. if you're going to relate to like Edward Cullen, like, oh, he doesn't eat people and he's affectionate. Right. And simple, you feel much better relating to yeah. him and projecting onto him. Yeah. And uh, implementing this idea of uh, human blood being a kind of urge that is dangerous and wrong. And that tracks in the homoeroticism of it. And it also tracks in the, as you have in the, the outline of a metaphor for just sexual urge mm -hmm. as a whole. So you can like really clearly see again what I've said a billion times this episode, this idea that like vampire media is bad merely because it is often a representation or an opportunity for specifically women to experience a, a sexual fantasy or sexual liberation 
and also for like gay people to be like, oh yeah, sex is like an urge that mm-hmm. should be controlled. Yeah, and it's interesting how they've they started as representation for death and disease, and now have evolved yeah. into something way more humanized and and sympathetic. Um, they right. always tend to represent something feral and animalistic, whether that be death or whether that be sex. Right. But also something aristocratic and powerful and yeah, which is really interesting. And it also when we when we humanize and sympathize with uh, when we evolve our understanding to be sympathetic and human humanizing, it retroactively colors and helps us to understand the the ways we viewed them in the past. Like we talked about with zombies, the fact that we are now humanizing and sympathizing with vampires allows us to go back to Dracula and Carmilla and look at those pieces of media and our conception of those pieces of media completely differently. Yeah. And and like even when you compare Nosferatu to Dracula, which were only just a decade apart, it's insane how different they are and how quickly yeah. we were able to 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 make vampires more like us. And and it's hard to refute that that like neck biting neck biting's a little sexy and neck and it's a little sexy. Um, the the act of like blood sucking or neck biting in any vampire medium is often played in a very sexual light, and the fact that vampires are very often portrayed as aristocrats who are all about hedonism and indulgence, like these are all things that build up to them being this this sex symbol. Yeah, and it and it links back to the the older folklore idea of like this Dracula man. I meant to say vampire, but my my brain said Dracula man, living up on the hill and like seducing like the village people, yeah. not the village, not the village people, <laughs> seducing the village people in That's the navy. Why <laughs> It's fun to stay at the Dracula's castle. Um. <laughs> Yeah, it, they all link together in a really interesting but also sensible way. Yeah. And like zombies, we can use vampires to talk about the problems or or social ills that plague the world, whether that problem be disease or sexuality, like or the oppression of sexuality. Yeah. And now that we've humanized vampires and now that they're so familiar to us, we can kind of remix them however we'd like. As long as they drink blood, we kind of, they're a vampire, you know? Right. And like you said, when, when you compare Dracula to, to Nosferatu, when you compare like Lestat to Edward Cullen uh, or to one of the guys from True Blood, the difference there in just 10 years of, of starting to conceive of vampires, not as just monsters, but as this like tragic figure. Yeah. Um, I just personally, I would love to see a return to the uh, like the Bella Lugosi or the Anne Rice style of vampire just for my own personal taste. Because a, I, I'm a sucker for period pieces. Ooh. <laughs> um, but also, I feel like some vampire fiction has gotten so far removed from certain things that they're almost not vampires anymore. Like if they can go out during the day, they don't need to drink human blood. Like at some they can't point, even they're metamorphose. They can't into turn mist. into a bat. <laughs> Like at some point, if we take away enough things, they're not really a vampire anymore, but like they are, this is just my own personal tastes. I would love to see a a, coming back to like the, my favorite kind of vampire is like the hedonistic aristocratic Lestat, Dracula, 
kind of vampire, yeah. but that's just me. You we, know? I, I think also the opportunity for like a period piece, like you said, is like, that'd be so good. Because again, when we're talking about like looking back at these older conceptions of things like vampires, if we then place our modern conception of them in this period time that allows for like really interesting art to be made. Let's remake Interview with a Vampire, no. but with me and Army Hammer and it's a period piece. I mean, Interview with a Vampire is a period piece. No, like, you know what I mean. Put it in a different period. Yeah, a different period. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to see uh, what we're, what we're going to do with vampires next. Yeah, where are those guys going to next? Hopefully uh, not far. Is- This has been the Great American Scream. If you enjoyed, please uh, share or follow on whatever podcast service you happen to use, rate and review on iTunes or follow on Spotify. It really helps us out to do that. Uh, It's just really good for us. But the best way to help us out is to tell a friend about the show. Adam, can you pimp our social medias, please? Yes, you can check us out on Twitter or Instagram at Great Scream Pod or on Facebook at The Great American Scream. Um, let us know your favorite vampire movies or your favorite fictional vampires. Uh, you can post or tweet at us using the hashtag TGAS. And if there is something you would like to uh, hear about on the show, tweet at us or let us know because uh, your suggestion may become a future episode. Yeah, a special thank you goes out to Michael Segudo, who does the intro to the podcast, and to Stevie Viola, who does the theme music. You can find him on Twitter and on YouTube. But other than that, Adam, I have been Devin Wright. I have been Adam O'Connell. And hopefully you have been spooked. Go be safe, creatures of the night. Nosferatu. (laughs) 